Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Make the Shift. I'm Adam Greenberg, CEO of Makeshift and host of this podcast. When I get up every single morning, I'm faced with a choice. I can just go through the motions, you know, shower, dress, eat, fire up the Zoom machine for the day, or I can choose to get fired up, work out, read something new, invest in myself, invest in my own growth. Now, it sounds like an easy choice, but for some reason it's not. Some days I choose option A and sometimes I choose option B. But what drives that decision? What makes some of us choose option A and others choose option B? As the CEO of a growing business, obviously I want everyone on my team to make the right choices every day for themselves, for our customers, and for each other. And I try to engage and inspire the people around me to operate at their very best consistently. But ultimately, for me, it comes down to choices. Now I know all of this and I truly believe it, yet I am guilty of sometimes making the wrong choices, of taking the easy road versus the road that I know is better for me in the long term. And I know that I'm not alone. These are questions that many business leaders ask, especially today as corporations are increasingly facing employee disengagement, burnout, a massive flood of resignations and more. But is the expectation of always operating at one's best reasonable? Can people be expected to always make the right choice to operate at peak performance consistently? Or are we setting ourselves up for failure? The world is going through a monumental shift And every single day, a new headline points us to a new challenge we need to overcome. The Delta variant, vaccine passports, gender and racial inequality, the war in Afghanistan, a refugee crisis, hunger, climate change. And if you read business publications, it's the great resignation, labor shortages, inflation, work from home, hybrid work, travel bans, pay equity, competition, artificial intelligence, and and the list goes on and on. Still, I'm an optimist. I believe in the collective power of people working together as a team to solve the problems facing our businesses, our communities, and our global societies. And I'm confident that we will rise to these challenges and overcome them. Now, I don't have all the answers on how, but that's why I launched this podcast. So we can take this journey together to find the answers that I know are there to learn from each other, and most importantly, grow together. And sometimes I need, we all need, someone to look to, someone to guide us, someone who understands what it means to operate in the most difficult and challenging of environments, and to come out on the other side as proof that it can be done. Today is that day, and I couldn't be more excited to welcome that someone. Rich Divney is my guest. Rich is a former Navy SEAL commander. You know the Navy SEALs, right? The elite military officers who operate in the toughest environments under the most challenging of circumstances. And when I look for an example of teams, this is the kind of team that always comes to mind. The kind of teams that have to operate together based on trust and optimal performance because it could literally mean the difference between life or death or perhaps even worse than death. Rich completed more than 20 overseas deployments, 11 of which were to Iraq 
in Afghanistan. He guided specialized operational teams to train their brains to perform faster, longer, and better in all environments. And since his retirement a few years ago, he's trained over 5,000 businesses, athletic and military leaders from the world's best known organizations. Rich is also the author of a book, The Attributes, which does an excellent job of helping his readers understand what makes people tick, so to speak, and how to uncover these attributes in all of us, whether it's sports, business, health and science, government, or even your everyday relationship. Most recently, Rich helped kick off Makeshift's first annual company meeting in Calgary. It was an incredibly powerful experience and our team learned so much. And on a personal note and in full transparency, Rich is going to be joining me and the Leaders to Inspire team in Mexico in November to facilitate his optimal performance workshops for participants at the Leaders to Inspire retreat. But today, Rich is here to help us all maximize our potential. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's go. Hi, Rich. Welcome to Make the Shift. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Man, thank you so much for joining us today. I I just want to start by saying how much I admire the work you do. I, I'm sure you've heard that before, but you know, when we spoke about having you as a guest and, and started discussing this topic of of building high performance teams, you <laughs> you challenged my assumptions and rightfully so. And you gave me some of your insights into accountability, sustainability, and the threat of expecting people to operate at their highest level every single day. And I I really wanted to just start by thanking you for that. I I also want to thank you for your selfless service. You know, you and the men and women you've selected and trained literally put yourselves in harm's way so that we can live our lives peacefully. So thank you. You know, we're, we're all really excited to share some time with you today. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate being here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Well, hey, before we dive in, I, I just want to take some list, our listeners behind the scenes to learn more about you personally and professionally. I understand that you live in, is it Virginia Beach with your wife, Kristen, and, and your two kids? Yeah, Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is uh, central eastern, uh, central east coast of the United States, um, about three about a three hour drive from DC. I'm probably about, only about a thirty minute flight as a crow's fly, but um, but yeah, I've been here since two thousand one is when I moved to Virginia Beach. I grew up on the in New England. I uh, went out to uh, Indiana, Purdue for college, and then to San Diego for SEAL training. And my first duty station was Hawaii, so I actually I kept on moving west. <laughs> until I finally, from Hawaii, moved back east to uh, Virginia Beach, and and uh, fortunately, spent the rest of my career there. So, are you are you closer to DC than you'd like to be? Or <laughs> no, in fact, we're actually great distance, uh, perfect distance, because you're not too close to get the traffic, but you're close enough that it's an easy it's an easy commute. So good. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Hey, can you tell us about your professional career? You know, I'm I'm fascinated by the type of work you you have done and, and continue to do. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I mean, there's two there's two parts, right? Professional career number one was the Navy, <laughs> right? That was, uh, you know, again, that was the Navy SEALs. I mean, it was so much of which has been now uh, popularized and um, <clears throat> and in many cases proliferated, which is really unusual because you know I joined the Navy SEAL teams in 1996, and very few people right. knew what Navy SEALs were back then. I mean, there were there were a handful of books. Uh, I think there was only one movie starring Charlie Sheen. There was a 
that was not not a very successful box office take. Um, but yeah, so so it was interesting to kind of ride the the wave um, while being in the SEAL teams of going from relative uh, obscurity, uh, kind of hiding in plain sight, to mm. um, to being the most recognized or one of the most recognized units on the planet. That's just bizarre. Um, so that was part one. And of course, I, I retired from the military in, in, at the end of 2016. So basically January 1st of 2017 was my first day as a civilian um, and uh, and started a new pathway. And that really has led me down some interesting uh, th- uh, uh, you know, directions. I, I, I really wanted to, I wanted to explore a little bit of the leadership space. I wanted to explore kind of getting out in front of people and talking and teaching and things like that, just because I, I felt like I had some stuff to say in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew um, I didn't, I didn't, it hadn't, I hadn't formulated it enough in my head. And I knew that getting out in front of people was going to be a requirement anyway. And I knew I didn't like to do it. So I, <laughs> so I made a conscious decision to, to, to jump into that thing, that, that which I did not like, that which I feared um, to, uh, to practice that and get good at it and, and learn how to do it with other people's content. So I was working with some fantastic folks at the, uh, well, well, it was previously the Barry Waymiller Leadership Institute was now the Chapman and, and Company Leadership Institute. And, and then also um, through my friend, Simon Sinek, who we both know and know of. And, um, and he, in fact, was the one who introduced me to Bob Chapman and, and kind of got me on that pathway. So I did a lot of stuff with them and Simon uh, for a year or two as I started to kind of put together thoughts on this on this attribute stuff and this performance stuff. And, and so here's where I am. I, I'm really... I, you know, I, I do talk about leadership and things like that, but I'm much more of a, of a performance guy. And when I say performance, I'm really more of a, it's not like a athletic peak performance type stuff. It's a, it's an elemental human performance. Like who are we at our most raw, right? How do mm. we show up? How do we behave? And why do we behave that way? That's what really fascinates me. And that was kind of the part one of that is, is I was, I would guess the, the, the book, the attributes. Cool. Yeah. And, and, as I mentioned to you when we when we met, you know, I, I was grateful for uh, for Stephen Chedletsky for introducing us, and I'm a, a huge fan of of Simon Sinek and and the, all the work that you guys do. And I find it very inspiring, and it's really guided my own uh, my own path in, in leadership as well. And it's funny you mentioned you know kind of getting out of your your comfort zone because I, I love the book, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you you mentioned that you've you know there's there's some things that you've done. I think it was height specifically that getting out of your comfort zone and now you're doing that in, in kind of a business environment and there's there's obvious correlations uh between the type of of uh, of work you did in in the navy and and business and leadership and you you really draw that connection but what like what what put you on the path to being navy seal i mean that's that's pretty intense stuff it is and um and so i grew up wanting to be a navy well wanting to be a jet pilot my dad was a uh, private pilot so we used to go flying with him and my twin brother and i you know there are four kids in our family so my little brother my twin brother my older sister so we'd all go flying with my dad um and he'd let us sit up front once in a while and, and steer the airplane and all that stuff and my twin brother and i were sold from the beginning we're like we want to be pilots and of course you know if you're going to be a pilot you should be uh, a jet pilot one of my favorite books growing up was uh, chuck yeager's autobiography I love that book and I read it so many times. And so the uh, the obvious choice was the Air Force or the Navy. Um, and I think we probably, uh, you know, because I didn't know as much was leaning toward the Air Force, but then we found out the Navy guys actually fly off of ships and and also every Navy base is somewhere on a coastline. And, and I'm growing up on the beach, I wanted to be somewhere on a coastline. Um, 
if you're on an air force base, you might be in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> at least on a Navy base, you're in the, you're on a coastline. Um, and so my brother and I said, we want to be a Navy pilot. So, so from the time I was probably six or seven years old, I wanted to be a Navy pilot and that was before Top Gun. So, so <laughs> to Top Gun actually just solidified that, you know, cause that was a cool movie. Yeah, um, it was, it was. And, um, but it wasn't, it was, you know, I was, it was in, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school when the first Gulf war, um, happened. And, mm -hmm. um, and it was shortly after that war. I mean, it was a short war to begin with, but uh, it was shortly after that that I found an article in Newsweek magazine that that detailed all the special operations forces, you know, in the military. So you had Army Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Delta Force, um, Marine Force Recon, uh, Air Force PJs and CCTs, all that stuff. And and I remember uh, looking at this article, which spanned about, eight, you know, eight to ten pages and and upon which were probably a good 25, 30 pictures of guys in different environments so people you know guys in snow and skydiving and scuba gear and desert jungle and i recognize that out of all out of the 30 pictures like 25 of them were navy seals they were just all in different environments so i was like you know sea hair is the whole sea air land thing the fact that these guys did everything they went everywhere and the fact that they made the ocean kind of this very hostile environment their home their safe haven i just thought that was really cool and so so i began kind of thinking about it reading some of the older books you know there weren't that many books at, at that time um, and, uh, and ultimately when I was in at Purdue, I was in an ROTC program and, um, and when it came for a decision as what to select, or at least try out for, you don't, you don't select and just get it. Right. But, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be a pilot and wonder if I could be a seal. And so, uh, so I, I selected for seals and fortunately got picked up to go to seal training, um, which was kind of wicket number one. And of course made it through seal training, which is a huge wicket number two. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and so forth the path of a very interesting kinetic career. Wow. And, and, you know, in reading about the, the seals and listening to you speak and reading your book it, and, and you mentioned it as well, which is about human performance and it, it comes down to potential. It comes down to uh, a lot of things. Right. And, and, and when I read through your book and it's aptly named the attributes, mm -hmm. You outline the difference between skills and attributes. You you explain that, and obviously you'll explain it better. But you explain that basically skills are things that can be learned, uh, and and attributes are things that all of us innately have. And and you go on to explain that certain experiences often uncover these attributes. Did I did I get that right, or do you, do you want to explain? No, you, you, I mean I'll, I'll amplify. But um, uh, ultimately, I had to I had to walk down this road when I was uh, put in charge of uh, uh, this, the assessment selection and training for one of our very specialized SEAL commands. It was not basic SEAL training. It was, it was actually a very specialized one. And at this command, we would take um, already experienced Navy SEALs and put them through. They'd apply to come to our command. We'd put them through this our own nine-month process. And of that, we got about a 50% attrition rate. So only 50% of them made, made it through. Um, and, um, and what I, uh, was handed and was kind of tasked to do was to better articulate why guys weren't making it through, because again, you had guys who were very experienced guys who'd been seals for nine, 10 years, in some cases who were, and had already been to combat in some cases who were not making it through our training. And, and the best that they had been able to explain it up to that point was, well, they couldn't shoot very well or couldn't do this very well, whatever. It was silly stuff that didn't really make sense. And so I really had to kind of go back to the basics and ask myself, all right, what are we actually looking for when we're when we're looking at these guys? And and it kind of made me go back to basic SEAL training. And when one of the things I kind of joke about is like in in basic SEAL training it was called BUDS, basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. It's run down in San Diego, and that's six months long. 
Um, you spend hundreds of hours running around with big, heavy boats on your head, you know, wet and sandy. You spend hundreds of hours exercising with 300-pound telephone poles and running around with those things on your shoulders and then freezing in the surf zone. Um, and I kind of looked at my career and, and certainly over my career, at least even up to that point, I had done hundreds of combat missions overseas. Uh, and never on one did I carry a boat on my head or a 300-pound telephone pole, right? So <laughs> they weren't they weren't training us. Navy SEAL training was actually a misnomer. They weren't actually training us to be Navy SEALs. What they were doing, they were putting us in these environments, in these situations to draw out qualities to see if we had what it took to be Navy SEALs. What were those? And so I said, what are those qualities? And this is where I had to make the distinctions between skills and attributes. And so And so you kind of hit it, you know, yeah, you uh, broadly is that skills are not inherent to our nature. None of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or shoot a gun or or drive a car. Okay, we're, we're lear we learn those things. We're taught those things. We're trained to do those things. They also direct our behavior in in known and specific environments and situations. Right here's how and when to drive a car or ride a bike or shoot a gun. Um, and then as such, because they're visible and they're tangible and they're kind of didactic in that way. Um, they're very easy to assess, measure, and test. They're very easy to see. They're very visible, and you can put scores around them and stats and things like that. Um, this is why, especially when we're building teams um, or even hiring, we get seduced by skill, okay? Because you can you can write it on a resume. You can see scores. You can see how well people do things, right? And you can score it and see it, and it's tangible. Um, what skills don't tell us is how we show up when we are in stress, challenge, and uncertainty, when the environment is is uncertain and unknown, Okay, because we, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to apply a known skill to an unknown environment. Okay, this is when we begin to lean on our attributes. Attributes, on the other hand, are more innate. Okay, we're all born with levels of situational awareness, adaptability, resilience, um, patience. Okay, um, certainly they develop over time and experience, right? But we can see levels of this stuff in small children. Okay. Um, attributes also don't dictate our behavior. They inform our behavior, right? Um, my son's levels of resilience and adaptability and perseverance um, informed the way he showed up when he was learning the skill of riding a bike and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Okay. So they inform how we're going to show up rather than dictate. Um, and then because they're kind of hidden in the background, they're very difficult to see. So they're very difficult to measure and assess and test, right? You can't sit across the table in an interview process with someone you're trying to hire and assess their level of resilience or assess their level of patience or adaptability. Um, it often takes environments of stress, challenge, uncertainty to draw those attributes out, right? Um, and so by separating those, uh, certainly for what I was doing, but also when I got out of the Navy, when I was talking to businesses uh, about high-performing teams, um, a lot of them were were coming to me and saying, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, putting together dream teams, you know, the best marketing person, best uh, salesperson, the best graphics designer, whatever. And the teams are are great when everything's going great, right? <laughs> but as soon as things go sideways, they fall apart, they turn toxic. What's going on? And for me, it was an easy answer. It's like, what's going on is you're picking your teams based on the wrong things. You're picking your teams based on skills, uh, whereas you should be picking your team based on attributes. The attributes are what tell us how we're gonna perform individually and as a team in these environments. And so, uh, so I wrote the book about these attributes, um, some of the same ones I explored when I was in the teams, um, but really tried to ubiquitize and say, okay, what are those attributes that that drive our performance in these specific categories it was a really fun uh, informative process for me well and it like as i'm reading it i'm like it makes perfect sense i mean i'm guilty i've hired people uh for their skills for the things that they've accomplished and and i myself have 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 tried to uh to highlight those when i'm when i'm trying to work and what 
what I really, really loved about the book was how you very simply broke it down. You, you described five attributes category, uh, mm -hmm. categories. And I, I think it was, it was grit. I've got the book right here. Grit, mental acuity, drive, leadership, and, and uh, team ability. Yes. And it was filled with incredible stories of, of how you've witnessed these attributes in people firsthand, whether it's how to handle a parachute malfunction, which, which I can't even begin to imagine, uh, battle cancer, which, which I actually can't imagine I've gone through that or, or whether it's capturing a bad guy. So it was really just very, very engaging. And I, I loved the stories, but what really struck me was, was how attributes versus skills really make one person stand out over another. And, and as I considered my own career and, and the people that I, I engage with, I could, I could see it. I could see it very clearly. Do you have any other examples you want to share from your point of view of, of uh, attributes versus, uh, versus skills or dive into any of these categories at all? Well, I mean, and I'd be happy to dive into categories, but, but I want to just make sure we, we emphasize a point. It's really not um, stand out over another, right? Um, one attribute. In other words, one attribute is not better than another attribute. It's actually very um, objective. Um, and, and the idea is that the, here's the good news. The good news is we're all born with all of the attributes. Okay. We have all of them. The difference in each one of us is the, are the levels to which we have each. Okay. So, um, so if we take adaptability, for example, um, and if 10 is high and one is low, I'm probably a level eight on adaptability, which means when the environment changes around me outside of my control, it's fairly easy for me to just go with the flow. You know, I just adapt and move with it. Right. Someone else might be a level three, which means when the same thing happens to them, it's difficult for them to go with the flow and, and it's harder. OK, they're still adaptable because human beings are adaptable, but it's just it's more difficult, which means they're lower in adaptability. So so where we stand on all of these is really how we start to figure out our own engine and our own performance. And if we were to kind of take a line of dimmer switches and line them up on a wall, one dimmer switch representing each attribute, our, our positions would all be different. You know, and so our lines, if we connected the, that dot, those dots would would all look different. And there's no judgment there. It'd be like I mean, it's, it'd be like judging our hair color. There's nothing we can do about it. There's it's just who we are. Um, but what the, what the, uh, what the knowledge of that allows us to do is it allows us to, to better understand and deconstruct our own performance, you know, um, because when we are in stress, challenge, uncertainty, when th these things, now these things show up all the time, by the way, they're just easiest to see when it's stress, challenge, uncertainty, when times are tougher, right? That's when they're, they're really easy to see. Um, but if we, if we can, it, it, uh, understanding where we fall on these things allows us to understand our performance during these times. So, so, you know, 2020 is a perfect example, a perfect actually vignette for all of us to kind of autopsy our performance. And we can say, okay, when everybody, when we went into quarantine, everybody was shut down. Okay. I couldn't leave anything. How did I perform? Like, did I, was I pretty adaptable or was it difficult or, mm. you know, was I resilient or, I mean, so, and again, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we can start saying, okay, actually, no, I wasn't as adaptable as I thought I, I, I would be. So I'm a little bit lower on adaptability. Um, the other bit of good news is that if you are low on an, on an attribute, you can actually develop it. You can actually make it better. Um, but you can't do it the same way that you can do a skill. Okay. And the, and the reason is this, and this is a good way to kind of determine whether or not it's an attribute or a skill. Okay. Quick back of the envelope test, if you will, because they get conflated all the time is to ask the question, can it be taught or can I teach it? Okay. If the answer is yes, it's likely a skill. If the answer is no, it's likely an attribute. And so the example would be, Adam, you say, Rich, I'd like to go to the, I'd like to go, uh, I'd like to learn how to shoot a gun and hit a bullseye every time. 
every time I take a shot, right? Well, I could take you to a range and teach you how to do that within two hours. Okay, that's about a, that's a skill. Okay, um, or you could say, Rich, I I, I want to learn how to be more patient or more adaptable. Well, I can't teach you how to do that. <laughs> okay, that's something that yeah. you have to do. So attributes have to be developed uh, through self motivation, self direction, and a willingness for that person, that individual, to deliberately place themselves into environments that test, tease, and develop that attribute. So if, if you are an impatient person, you're low on patience, um, and you want to develop your patience, you're going to have to put yourself into environments of discomfort where your, where your patience is tested, okay? Whatever that looks like. I mean, maybe you drive in traffic yeah. or wait in the longest line at the grocery store or have kids is a, one I always say, you know, you can <laughs> help develop, right? So, but you have to do it yourself. And so that's the difference. So, so, so you don't have all the attributes or you have all the attributes the ones you're low on, you can develop. And the last piece is you don't need to develop all of them, okay? It's all within the niche or context of what you're doing in life, right? The stand-up comic doesn't necessarily need a lot of empathy, okay? In fact, too much empathy can be detrimental to a stand-up comic because how are you supposed to find funny at a funeral if you're too empathetic, right? So so you just because you're low on one doesn't mean you have to develop it. So, But understanding this stuff actually helps us start to understand, deconstruct, and in fact, um, uh, enhance our, our performance. I, again, it's fascinating. And I, and I love how you articulate it. I actually want to touch on empathy a little bit because it's a word that gets used a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, empathetic leadership, for example. And, and I want to, I want to dig into this uh, a little bit more and, and kind of get your advice. And, and I don't, I want to stay away from business for a second because, because things are, you know, really heating up right now uh, in the world, especially it seems in uh, in Canada and the United States. Maybe because that's the news cycle that I consume, and because I live here. But it's especially with with COVID, which is like a real hot button issue. Um, with you know, with those who have received their vaccines versus those who haven't, those who refuse to, those who think you need to. Um, you know, in some cases, there's resistance for justifiable reasons. Um, and in other cases, maybe it's a little questionable Yeah, and, and leadership, you know, plays a key role here in trying to bring people together for our common good. And yet sometimes it's easy to question, what does our common good even mean? Right. Um, and in your book, you talk about the importance of empathy in leadership and, and, and I've read a ton about leadership, servant leadership, authentic leadership. I've read all of Simon Sinek's leadership books, leaders eat last and find your why. And I believe in all this stuff. Um, but the point that you made in your book that I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about is that is that empathy can't be faked. Correct. Can you can you just tell us what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so empathy is different than sympathy. Okay. Sympathy is I know how you feel. Empathy is I feel how you feel. Okay. Um, and and we when when we're interacting with someone who is attempting to be empathetic, um, it's pretty easy to tell for us if they are able to feel how we feel okay if they if they express uh, if they are able to express in their actions and behavior that they they feel what we feel they understand that okay it's a it's a combination of kind of understanding and feeling um what's interesting is human beings are actually wired for empathy i mean our limbic systems take in emotions and they and we have kind of what are called mirror neurons which allow us to kind of sense and feel um what others do if people don't believe me, they can go to a nursery and, and watch as one baby starts crying, all the other ones will start crying. And it's not because they're in pain. Okay. Um, it's because we have this sense of feeling now. Now, as we get older, our, our frontal lobes execute what's called top down control. And some of us who, who might be lower on the empathy scale are likely people who are more top down 
um, dominant. In other words, our, our logical brain <laughs> uh, doesn't 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 tamp down, but it certainly monitors and modulates the limbic the limbic brain response. Okay, so so the key is, and then there are other people who are highly empathetic, right? Um, my wife is someone like that. She just she can feel so deeply, and she and people respond to that. I mean, it's it's very magnetic actually when people are empathetic like that. Um, for those of us like me, in, in many cases, because I constantly try to work on my empathy, um, who are a little bit more top-down control, it takes a little bit more conscious effort to say, okay, how can I begin to get into this person's uh, environment so I can perhaps feel how they feel? Here's the key, and here's, I think, the, 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 what we all have to remember as citizens of the world. Um, to be empathetic does not mean you have to agree with that person, Okay. Um, you can be empathetic, you can feel how they feel and still disagree with them. This is where we get in trouble because I think in today's uh, very binary world, <laughs> you know, in yeah. today's binary political environment, um, people seem to feel like, uh, I don't know, people seem to almost definitively state, if you don't believe, I'm cutting you off, right? I'm not, you know, if you don't, if you don't believe what I believe, I'm cutting you off. Um, and that's, that's unhelpful and unproductive and will, uh, uh, and, and will not, um, will not push us towards uh, towards evolution. <laughs> It'll push us towards extinction, you know? Um, and so that's where empathy really can become powerful um, on a global stage, but certainly as a leader, okay? Because again, as a leader, you don't have to agree with people, right? You need to feel, you need to try to feel like they feel. What's interesting, and I'll just, and then I'll shut up, is that is that a lot of times um, at, we as leaders, we forget that we've actually been, in fact, in the positions of the people that we are in charge of, and have actually felt what they felt. And any of us parents, I saw parents of, I have two teenagers at home, right? Um, 16 year old and 14 year old. And I have to often remember and remind myself, hey, wait a second, Rich, you were a teenager once too. <laughs> Get back into that mindset, right? Because I'm coming at it with a, you know, from a, from a 48 year old, 47 year old um, mentality. And I need to get back into my 16 year old mentality because I was there before. Okay. All I need to do is make the effort. Um, so, so even leaders who found themselves to, be in a position where they're in charge and they've gone up the chain in a, in a, in a, over the course of years need to say, Hey, you were once there too. It's actually easier for you if you just make some effort. No, I love, I love that analogy. Um, because I, I think we can all relate to that. And as parents anyways, and you're, you're, you're so right. Um, and you're, you're also so right about the, you know, what, what someone has deemed or, or, or you know, call or, or is calling cancel culture, which I can't stand that term, but, yeah. but I, I, I know what you're saying and you're right. Um, that's a, that's a really great way to explain it. Yeah. Uh, and please, no, you no need to, no need to shut up. I'm really enjoying the conversation. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think you brought up a great point and it's a point that we should emphasize because it'll allow us to, to, um, uh, address both sides of the, of the polarities. Okay. You have cancel culture on one side, which is literally saying everything you did before this is wrong and you should be ashamed of it, right? right. Um, which is not being empathetic at all. And then you have, in some cases, on the other side, extremism, which is just taking a very closed-minded, single point of view on things, right? And so both are guilty. What's interesting about the, both these sides is they don't realize how identical they are. Um, right. And that's always ironic uh, to, to kind of think through. And I think I'm optimistic that most of us fall somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's... it's quite amazing what's going on hmm. and so so how do we make pardon the pun how do we make the shift um how do we make the shift or what's your advice in in business uh and in life um 
to, to trying to hone in on, on, on attributes, uh, and, and on attributes versus skills, how do we hone in on, on our natural empathetic nature to try to solve some of the problems that we're, that we're facing in the world? Do you have any, any guidance there? Well, you know, again, I think the first key to performance, um, in any capacity is understanding our own engine. Um, and I, I always say we're kind of like, you know, human beings are kind of like automobiles in, in, the, in the sense that we're all, we're all cars. I mean, we're all, we're all moving vehicles, right? But some of us are SUVs, some of us are Ferraris, some of us are Jeeps, okay? Um, now, there's no judgment on that because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do, okay? Right. Um, but it would behoove us to lift our hood and figure out what, what we are, what engine we're running with. Because you may, in fact, be a Jeep that's been trying to run on a Ferrari track or a Ferrari that's been trying to run on a Jeep track. And even that's okay, because again, you can choose. That's the cool thing about, about being human in today's society, at least certainly in the first world societies, um, is you can choose whatever you want to do, okay? But but if you are, in fact, a Jeep trying to run on a Ferrari track, would it be nice to know that you're a Jeep trying to run on a Ferrari track? Because then you'd actually know what you might need to work on so you can do better as a Jeep on a Ferrari track. Or you might say, you know what? This is why I'm unfulfilled. This is why I'm actually unhappy. I'm a Jeep and been trying to run on this Ferrari track. I need to get over that Jeep track because that's where I'm going to be happy. Okay, all of this comes with self-awareness um, and, and introspection. And so understanding our attributes allows us to understand what engine we're working with um, so that we can start figuring out and understanding what we can do better and how we can perform better. Um, and even that, even if we are a Jeep running on a Jeep track, um, you know, those all those things out there in today's world that uh, that help us perform, right? There's there's thousands of them. Some of them are really good. Some of them are, are worthless, right? But there's tons. Uh, one of the one of the things we can be for certain of is that not every not every trick and tool and technique works on every person. Okay, um, but understanding what engine you're coming to the game with will allow you to better distinguish which of those tools work for you. Because if you are um, trying to put a nitrous oxide pack on a Jeep engine, that might not work out very well. You know, <laughs> um, so uh, so that also that self awareness also allows you to even in fact pick those those tools and techniques that are out there that actually help you improve and do better as well. Hmm. No, that's, that's very practical um, advice. And, and at the beginning of, of, of this show, we promised our listeners that they would leave with, with some practical advice and, and insights on, on how to build and manage teams, um, how to solve some of the big challenges uh, that are facing business that are, that are facing our global communities in general. Uh, and so, and, and so I appreciate that because, you know, someone like me, you know, what do I do to take that first step? Like whether it's, you know, to, to pick up the phone and make a, a cold call, uh, whether it's to take a chance on someone that I, I might want to hire and, and maybe they don't appear as qualified for a senior role, uh, as, as I'd like them to be. Um, so I want to look beyond, Maybe their 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 past job, or maybe their skill set, and and look maybe at attributes, or you know maybe it's somebody at home that just wants to lose weight. Maybe maybe it's this, a young person hesitating to ask someone on a date. Uh, that, right. you know, they think that they may be out of their league, and I, you know I would I would hate to be the the guy showing up at your at your door asking your your teenage daughter out on a date, knowing dad's. Uh, 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 I have no daughters. I only have okay. Sons, so my, okay. my, twin, my twin brother has daughters, so. He's, he's, okay. so yeah. Either, either way, I was just like teenagers at home. Yeah. Oh, geez, I hope uh, you know don't want to knock on that door. So, um, but I, I appreciate uh, the, the very practical advice. Anything anything else in terms of you know, first step, like what does someone do in these situations that, that they want to move themselves forward and, uh, and achieve something great? 
Well, well, first step is to start introspecting a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and whether it's whether it's attributes that you start looking into, whether it's you know whether it's um, values, whether it's uh, character, whatever it is, introspect more. I think one of the and this is what I tell my boys a lot. And of course, I don't force them to do anything because it's their own, their own generation. They watch YouTube, yeah, just like everybody yeah. else. The cool thing is that the YouTube videos I I see them watching are all like space exploration and things like that. So I can't I can't complain about that. Right. Um, they're just they're growing up in a different environment, which is yeah. which is something we have to recognize, and that's right. our job to do that. Okay, um, but I do think, and I do encourage uh, people to get into their heads more. Okay, mm. you're always thinking, you know, we always hear, get out of your head, get out of your head, and I can get that in certain contexts, but but oftentimes we actually have to get into our heads a lot more because that's where we begin to interrogate ourselves and ask better questions and and learn things and and um and question and even empathize um i remember and i'm sure you can relate to this because we're, we're around the same age yeah. when i used to go on um family vacations with with my family we used to drive places because yeah. you know, with four kids my dad was not gonna <laughs> buy plane tickets so we drive i mean yeah. and they were sometimes 18 20 hour drives okay so well, yeah we had no walkmans i had no iPhones. I had nothing, you know, and, and it's, it's funny, ironically, we had no seatbelts either, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I remember I would just sit next to the window and stare out the window for hours, mm -hmm. just thinking, just thinking about stuff, imagining stuff, thinking about things, you know, questioning, just, I was in my head, you know, and to this yep. day, I can be on an airplane as long as I'm on a window, <laughs> you know, um, uh, I can be on an airplane. I can sit and stare out the window and I can just think about things when I go for, I usually go for runs here in Virginia, um, just in the woods. It's my, one of my favorite things to do. And I don't, I don't listen to music. I don't time myself. I don't go with anybody else. I don't, uh, and I don't care about my pace. I'm just in nature jogging, you know, mm -hmm. and it is so cathartic and I get some of my best ideas. In fact, the only piece of technology I started carrying with me at one point was a little recorder because I'd come up with so many ideas right. while I was running. I'd have to record them. Uh, so I didn't forget them when I was done with my run, right? So, um, so I think getting into our head is is what one of the things we can we can do more of, and introspecting on ourselves on uh, on the questions we ask, um, and figuring out our engine. Okay, I mean, you know, we um, we have to ask ourselves what what is it that we want to do? You know, what is what is that goal? What is where do I want to be? Um, and uh, and do do I have the engine that will get me there or do I need to make some tweaks, you know? Uh, and I guess, I guess in, in good Simon and a good, good nod to Simon, uh, yeah. the why should come first, right? Why, you yeah. know, you know, why do you want to do it? Um, and then, and as long as that's fulfilled and you, you know, kind of on track, okay, what, what are those things I need to do? And I think most of the attributes are probably going to line up because we tend to, we tend to steer naturally towards those things that we, uh, f that feel better, um, feel more natural. Um, but there are going to be probably some attributes that you need to um, to explore, and especially if you're in a in a uh, in a uh, on a pathway along a pathway that that takes you into a position of being in charge of people. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a leader, you are going to have to develop leadership attributes. And again, like I say about leadership, yeah, leadership is not um, we can't self designate. Okay, you're either in charge. The, the, there's a difference between being in charge and being a leader. Okay, one's yeah. a noun and one's a verb. And you, and we, I joke, you don't get to call yours. You don't get to self designate. You don't get to call yourself a leader. Um, it's like calling yourself good looking or funny, right? Um, <laughs> other people, other people decide whether or not you are someone they want to follow. And if anybody, if anybody questions me on that, I just say, listen, there are a ton of people who thought of Hitler as a leader. Okay. Right. There are a ton of people who thought of Abraham Lincoln as a leader. Okay. Um, it's all about what people decide. Okay. So you can be in charge. If you want to be a leader, it's about what people, um, 
decide. And a lot of times, most of the time, it's going to be based on the way you behave. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that those behaviors stem from those leadership attributes. So, so if you are along your pathway in a position of being in charge and you want to be a leader, then it's really apparent, uh, uh, important that you look at those leadership attributes and say, okay, which ones am I really good on and which ones am I a little deficient on? Because it's, it'll behoove you to work on those ones you might be a little bit deficient on. Wow. That's, I mean, you're so right. And I, I also love the visual of running, running in the woods alone and I'm sitting in the car for 20 hours with my two brothers beside me and looking out the window. I've had the exact same experiences. And, and so I can really relate to that. I mean, I love kayaking by myself where I think mm -hmm. I should probably bring the recorder because I also forget all the things that I thought about by the time I get home. Um, so, but, but thank you uh, for that, Rich. That's very, very insightful. Um, you know what, finally, just as we're, as we're kind of wrapping up, looking at the time, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned in my opening remarks, uh, that you've partnered with leaders to inspire and you will be facilitating your optimal performance workshops for corporate retreat attendees in November, uh, in a beautiful beachside location in Baja, Mexico. What can businesses considering investing in this, this team development, uh, initiative expect from your workshop or, mm -hmm. or you know, what is the number one thing that they, that they will leave with? Um, Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I don't know if I know the number one thing, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they, um, here's, well, here's, here's the first great thing about it is that we're going to be in an environment that, that, uh, transcends the usual, um, learning environment. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and what we have to understand is the neurology of learning. Okay. Um, comes with three factors. It comes with intensity, novelty and focus those three things when when we have those three things engage um in our brain we learn the fastest okay this is why um being told about a hot stove is different than touching a hot stove okay when you're told about a hot stove there's not a lot of novelty intensity and focus um when you touch a hot stove there's a lot of novelty there's a lot of intensity a lot of focus okay same reason why uh putting songs or music to words as well we'll never forget our abcs always be able to sing that because we we add those three things so so environmentally we're going to be in a place where it's adding some of those things and again this is neurological the, the chemicals required to lash those those uh those neural networks together create those neural networks are enhanced with with those three factors so so we're gonna be in a great environment um and then the idea is to really uh help give everybody some tools and techniques about what it means first of all, what a high performing team actually looks like, you know, because mm -hmm. it's not exactly what people think. Okay. Right. Um, what that, what it looks like, what it means, and then some, some real techniques and tools on how to build that for themselves. Um, and then I think we're going to try to sprinkle in some, some real uh, practical tools and neuroscience about how to effectively move through stress, challenge, and uncertainty um, and come out on the other side stronger. So it's, so it's, it's actually going beyond resilience, okay? Be, resilience is I get knocked off baseline, I get back to baseline, which is fine and it's good. And if you can do that, great, okay? We need to be able to do that. Um, what I really strive to do and strive to target, uh, have always been interested in is what we call, or what Nassim Talib called anti-fragility, okay? Anti-fragility means when I got knocked off baseline, when something bad happens, um, when I come back, I'm stronger, okay? I'm stronger because of it. Okay, this is exactly what happens to us in the gym when we go lift weights. We're ripping our muscles, okay? Um, and um, and if we do it correctly, we're actually, the muscles are growing because of it. So so we can do that with everything in our lives if we do it correctly. Um, and so we'll try to sprinkle some of those 
some of those techniques on there as well. So I think I think people will will find that they get a lot of cool thoughts and distinctions that may not have got before, and they'll definitely come away with some tools. That's awesome. I'm I'm ex- really excited about that, and luckily. For me, I get to I get to attend. <laughs> uh, so thank thank you so much for 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 the partnership and and for your time today, for sharing your insights with us, for putting some of these thoughts uh, in the attributes on paper. Because it's one thing to listen, it's one thing to have these ideas, but to read the twenty five hidden drivers of of optimal performance, to think of optimal performance versus peak performance, to 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 use some of the stories and the analogies, and to really think about oneself. Uh, you know, was, was really, really helpful, you know, yeah. so, so Rich, it's, you know, thanks again. It's, it's been a sincere pleasure and, and I, I certainly hope we can do it, uh, do it again soon. And I, I look forward to, to seeing you, uh, seeing you in November. Yeah, me as well, Adam. It's a, it's a great, I'm really pleased and, and, uh, grateful for, uh, for a, well, a, for Shed, uh, you know, I guess introducing us. Thank you, Shed. Shout out to Shed, which we'll do yeah. as many thanks, times Shed. as possible. Um, but also, yeah, this is a great journey and, uh, and I'm really Uh, pleased and, and grateful to be part of it. So thank you. Right on. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our podcast. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you'll join me next month as we continue to make the shift together. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, you can visit podcast.makeshift.ca to subscribe. You can also look for at Makeshift app and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you'd like to join me on my show or share feedback with me, feel free to drop me a line at agreenberg at makeshift.ca. And a shout out to the SEALs, that's A-Alpha, green like the color, Bravo Echo Romeo Golf at makeshift.ca. And if you'd like to buy a copy of the attributes or learn more about Rich and the work that he does, you can visit www.theattributes.com. To learn more about the upcoming Leaders to Inspire corporate retreat that we spoke about on building high-performance teams with Rich Diveny, visit leaderstoinspire.com. All of our links are in our show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Adam Greenberg. See you next time on Make the Shift.